This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, my guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same. It's just human nature. Uh, Secondly, My podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter, so please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter. Oh, and don't forget, my next show is at the State Library of Victoria on Saturday the 25th of June with undercover cop Keith Banks. I reckon you'll think twice about trusting anybody after listening to Keith. Uh, tickets are through Eventbrite. Thanks. I can almost remember every single incident. I used to memorise it because I knew at nine what he was doing was wrong. But by 14, I knew what he was doing was illegal. And I knew I could go to the police and I'd get help. And they'd protect me. Today's podcast is a two-parter where we discuss a number of topics in detail. So please consider if it's right for you. We discuss sexual abuse, grooming, drug taking, drug dealing to a point, uh, suicide and abortion, but it does have a good ending. My guest became an addict at 42 and after two years, she then saw the light but she has been clean for 25 months, a fact of which she is so very proud and so she should be. Not long ago, I received a message which took me right back to my days working as a senior Connie at the Broadmeadows CPS, which was the community policing squad. CPS is similar to today's sockets and that's where Lorraine, who you may remember I've interviewed previously, she was my boss. When I saw the sender's name on this message, I knew who it was straight away, although I'd forgotten much of the detail. But what I did recall was that with all the stress and anxiety that she'd suffered, she was such a strong young woman who'd been really to Helen Beck. And the message read, quote, I'm not sure if you remember me, 
but I think of you almost every week. My name is Philippa and you changed my life. I would love to be able to speak with you if you have time. Please give me a call, unquote. (laughs) So I rang Philippa the following day and, you know, it took me probably about three seconds flat to remember why she'd made such an impression on me all those years ago. She had not changed one iota. She was still so bright, so strong, so stoic, so sincere and incredibly she didn't seem to have an angry bone in her body. And I couldn't help but think, how could somebody be so forgiving after suffering the terrible abuse that she had at the hands of her stepfather? We spoke for the next 45 minutes, hardly taking a breath. And as we talked, the investigation came flooding back to me. And, you know, I wondered how I could ever have forgotten such a significant court case, a trial, what's more. And the fact that we'd won, her stepfather went to jail and then he was deported for the crimes that he committed against her. But that's one of the effects of PTSD is it does affect your memory. But Philippa shared the special ongoing relationship that she'd formed with the OPP team, the Office of Public Prosecutions, that we went to trial with, which is very rare. However, it shows the calibre of the type of person Philippa is. And unfortunately, Philippa went down a very familiar path of many sexual assault victims after the trial. She went off the rails, uh, finding solace in drugs and or alcohol, which ultimately led to finding herself in a police cell. And she called the OPP barrister that she'd remained friends with for help, and she needed it in bucket loads. Philippa slowly clawed her way back from that darkness and unlike many, she found a reason to become clean. She had every right to just curl up in a ball and almost give up. But that determined, strong young woman I met back in the mid-90s was always there, just hovering in the background. What an inspirational story I've got for you today. So thanks, Philippa, and strength to you for finding a voice for not only yourself but others who found themselves in your shoes. So thank you. Thanks, Narelle. So how's life, Philippa? What's been going on in your life in the last, uh, (laughs) how long is it, 30 years or something? Almost. (laughs) Almost. I'm nearly 50. (laughs) Oh, my God, Philippa. Um, Hey, just before you said you said to me, um, my exciting news. Oh my God, Philippa. So I think we've got to tell the listeners this before we start. It might be a little bit back to front, but it is just uh, so amazing. So can you share with us what happened with you yesterday? I can. So I was helping a friend who is going down the same path I was going down. And I rung my lawyer from when I was in trouble and said, look, can you help him get onto the ARC program? So she said, absolutely. With your recommendation, yes. So we were there at court and she said, Pip, we had a meeting this morning in Moorabbin, she said, and the ARC program is run through five magistrate courts currently, she said, and it's going, we want to expand it. We want to get it into more courts so more people have access. And she offered me to be like the poster child of the ARC program, someone who's been through it, and I'll talk to magistrates and barristers and lawyers, and I'd assume prosecutors would probably be in on it, and explain to them the 
benefits of the ARC program and why I, from the minute I was accepted to it, why I loved it and thrived on it and got healthy because of it. Pip, what is the ARC program? So the ARC program is a program that's run through Frankston, Moorabbin, Latrobe, Currumburra and the Melbourne Magistrates Courts and it's called the Assessment Referral Court. So it's for people with mental health conditions who are in the criminal system um, and it's to get them to stop reoffending and to change their life so they get all the supports you need and rather than throw you in jail because most of us probably deserve to be in jail what we did mm-hmm. but because of our mental health our judgments were clouded it might have been because we were drug affected and self-medicating they then get you you know like my friend yesterday he hasn't got id he's been in and out of jail since he was a kid so they'll get his id they'll help him relocate, they'll get him therapies, supports, and you meet with the judge once a month and it's like a monitoring order and you do your support plan and as long as the judge can see that you're doing what you plan to do in your support plan, you continue to do that. You may get a 12 to 24 to 36-month program and at the end of it, then your sentence comes. So my sentence was a nine-month monitoring order. So rather than go to jail, I got a nine-month monitoring order at the end of it. And as long as I'd done nothing wrong, I was free. I And it wasn't even the sentence that was that. I was already free because of the ARC program. I'd got the therapies. I'd found the correct therapist. I, I thrived through ARC and I just love it. I can't speak highly enough of it. And so what will your role with ARC be? Will that be mentoring others or will it be your, or a mediator or what's your I'm really not sure. I think it's more explaining to the magistrates and the barristers and that why, how ARC works and why it works. Um, and because of your lived experience, is that right? Yes. That you would just, yeah, yeah, okay. So like the little poster child, I suppose. It's like, Philippa, <laughs> Philippa, can I remind you of something? Yes. A poster child, at, at nearly 50, you're not a child anymore. <laughs> I know. Who's ever going to tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> I still feel yeah. like, I don't know. I know I've been out of home 26 years now and I still feel like, that 21, 22-year-old girl where the whole world's still opening. Everything now, it's like my life is just beginning in some aspect. Like yeah, I'm just starting to be born now. So it's strange. It's very, very strange. But it's also so inspiring and so motivating for those who, you know, don't think life's worth living, um, they're, you know, they're affected by drugs, mental health, whatever it be, in and out of jail. And as you said, you are the poster, let's call you the poster woman. (laughs) Uh, You're the poster woman uh, because ARC and uh, there are support systems out there to help. Absolutely. But, But also I think in another way, you've also got to want to be helped, don't you? Absolutely. You've like, got to want yeah. that yourself. People say to me, you know, what was rehab like? You know, how did you get through it? And I said, rehab was amazing. I loved it. It wasn't hard at all because it was what I wanted. Um, 
it was exciting. It was, you know, I didn't want to come home. I remember my mum saying, I said to my mum, I'm going to re-enlist for another three months. And she actually told me I was being selfish. And mum and I never really argued. But I said, you know what, mum? And I actually stuck up for myself. I said, you know what, if I'm being selfish, then so be it. Because for the first time in my life, I'm going to be selfish. And this is what I need to do. Yeah, yeah. And Pip, um, with the ARC program that you were just talking about, I'm not sure if I missed it, but I thought it was really important that you said that the judge, he doesn't sit up um, in a, you know, on a, a separate table with the, the wig and everything. Tell it that they all, you all sit together, don't you? So it's just so level. Yes. So you sit, they call it a round table, but it's not. It's the big rectangle table that's in any courtroom. Usually the lawyers sit there and then you sit in the chair behind the lawyers and the magistrates up the front. The magistrate actually sits on the other side of the table right opposite you and then next to you on your right you'll have your ARC lawyer and on the left on the other side the prosecution, it's an ARC prosecution lady named Brooke. Then you've got the ARC uh, case worker and her boss. And then the only person that sits in a formal position is the register because her computer's stuck there. So she's there and she'll wave and apologise as you walk in and you go every month and it's more of a round round table discussion. There's no – it's still formal but you've got a set time, you have one hour and we all sit there and chat and say, well, so what have you been doing this month, Philippa? I remember Magistrate Cattuso said to me on the first thing, he said, right, I want you to buy a diary because you're going to need it. And I went, okay. And he said, and I'm going to fill that diary up. And I thought, oh, yeah, this will be good. He filled it up. I had so many appointments every week. I would go straight to Chloe, my um, caseworker, who is one of the most inspirational ladies, Um Chloe goes above and beyond for her clients. She's non-judgmental. She says to you straight away, I don't even know what your charges are. I didn't look at them. And she doesn't look at them until she makes that assessment of you to present to the court so you can get on the arc. Um, then you discuss what your support plan every month. And he says, all right, we'll have a good month now. Due to COVID, I didn't get to see them every month because I actually went to Cairns and that's where I went to rehab. But I would get, um, Chloe would put a report in to say how I was going and then I would get a report back from Magistrate Catuso with more encouraging words. Um, and in that time I came home because of COVID again. I had to leave rehab earlier than I wanted um, I got arrested a couple more times in that time and they still, they don't throw you out. They don't, they're non-judgmental. They're really, really supportive. Actually, I was going to ask that, Pip, that if um, you did um, fall down and do something, which and you just said um, that you arrested a couple of times, um, so you aren't thrown off the program, does no. the does the magistrate sit and ask what happened? Yes. And, uh, uh, yeah, what happens there? So when it happened to me, mine was um, domestic violence with my ex-partner and he'd assaulted me pretty badly, but he told the police 
it was all me and I was I didn't get medical treatment I was put into the jail cell for three days and when I came home Chloe had got notification it happened on a Friday Chloe got notification that I'd done an, what they call an L17 so I'd done a breach and I got out and then I came home and Chloe rang me straight away. She said, hey, okay, okay, Pip, what happened? And I told her and she said, right. She got me to the hospital and I had to have three surgeries on my hand because he'd bitten my finger off, the top of my finger. Um, and he put an intervention order against me. So the judge actually saw through it all and I was unwilling to make statements or anything like that because in that world you don't, you don't lag, so to say. Um, and they said, no, I'd been identified as the perpetrator, not the victim. So they made it, they got Orange Door involved. They had my house as the safe house. I was still totally under his control at that stage in the sense of I was the one saying sorry. I was the one begging for forgiveness. I wanted to, um, get back with him so they made it that I could go to his house uh, but he was not allowed to come to my house. They had cameras installed so that I had that safe retreat. I didn't like it. I thought it was unfair like but I'll be okay and they were they were very, very protective and Chloe was very protective of me and my therapist. I had just an amazing team surrounded by me who still are. They're so supportive. I could pick up the phone and ring any one of them at any time and they're so, I don't know, super proud of me and I'm super proud of them. It's just I just I can't speak highly enough of the ARC program. I love it. So, Pip, was it ARC that put in the cameras, uh, et cetera, in your house or Chloe the or, police? Or? Chloe organised it with the police and Orange Door. Okay. You know, so it's things like that. They go above and beyond and they – Chloe makes things happen in the sense like I had tried to call a drug and alcohol service um, six months before I even got onto the art program, before I was in trouble. And the waiting lists are so long and no one ever got back to me. I think I'd called a couple of times and I'd said that to Chloe. Oh, yeah, I rang stepping up. And she said, did you? And I went, yep. And I left her office and within 15 minutes I had a phone call and she said, right, my name's Kylie. I've just had a phone call from Chloe are you able to come see us tomorrow morning at 11.15? And I went, yep. Chloe can just make things, they hear her name, bang, it happens. I don't know how she does it, but she's just magic. <laughs> and, Pip, um, we are getting a little bit off track, but it's, it's unfortunately it's, it's interesting in a number of ways. Can we go back to the actual assault? You said that, um, I'm exaggerating a bit, but, you know, that you yes, had half your finger cut off. The or top of it. Bitten off. The, you did have the top of your finger bitten off. Yes. Yeah, okay. And were you treated at all in uh, by the police? Like they've obviously put you in the cells. Did so, anybody treat your finger? No, they sat at the, the ambulance came to the house and there was two police officers and the ambulance and the ambulance driver actually looked at the police officer and said, what do you want us to do? And he said, wrap it up give her some Panadols, she's coming with us. And I've looked at them like, why am I coming with you? And I got I got my back up and I can be quite fiery. And I said, I didn't do this. And I didn't even realise at that stage that he had bitten my finger off. I thought it got jammed in the door. Um, I didn't realise it was as bad as it was. Um, 
they wrapped it up and put a bit of gauze on it and the ambulance driver said, we can't give you Panadol. We're not allowed to. And I'm thinking, what? An ambulance driver can't give you Panadol, but they can give you the green dream. Okay, that works. Um, next thing you know, I was in the back of the Divi van and I was at the police station. And all of this happened at about 3.30 in the afternoon on the Friday. And I remember sitting in the interview room and it was about 10, 10.30 at night and a police officer banged on the door. And he said, hi, you. And I said, who's that? And the police officer identified himself. I said, open the door. He said, I can't because I've got a, I've just come back from shoulder injury. You might hurt me. I said, I won't hurt you. I'll hurt you if you don't open the door. And he was a police officer that I really, really liked. He was a pretty cool cop. And he opened the door and I looked at him and I said, oh, for God's sake, can we go out and have a smoke? And then it dawned on me that it was police change over time, shift change, because he'd just come on. And I went, what time is it? And he said it was about 10, 10.30. And, and I looked at him and I went, am I getting locked up? And he went, uh, there's talk of it. I said, well, get up there and sort it out because I haven't done this. And he goes, well, do you want to smoke or you want me sorted out? I said, both. So he said, let me go and ask if I can take you out. So he took me out for a smoke and we had a chat. And he said, you've got to tell them the truth, Pip. I said, I'm not telling them nothing. I said, I'm not going to. If I lag, I'm dead. So with that, next thing you know, I was taken to Frankston and I was in the cell all weekend. So you got arrested at the house, but your partner didn't. Is that wrong? Yeah, because he told them that I'd kicked the front door in, came came in and kicked his bedroom door in, which was none of that was true. Um, I attacked him so he was only reacting to my behaviour. Is that what he said, that you attacked him? Yes. Okay. So prior to the you? police coming, no, I, they and didn't. did you? No. Okay. Prior to the police right. coming, he was actually like, baby, give me a hug, and, and I was telling him to go away. And then he looked and he goes, oh, great, now the jacks are here. And... I said, I said, well, tell him everything's fine. And he walked outside and he came back in the, into the kitchen. I was sitting with his housemate and he said, they want to see you. And they said, hey, Pip, how are you going? And I said, yeah, I'm all right. How are you? I said, what's going on today? And I said, oh, Justin and I just had words. We're right. And she said, yeah. And she said, everything's okay. You're safe. I said, yeah, I'm fine. And then they took him over to the front yard and I heard exactly what he was saying. He just told them that I'd come in and gone crazy. He has drug-induced psychosis um, and diagnosed schizophrenia and he was just a narcissistic control freak. So, And, and Pip, um, so when you say you don't lag in, in that world, yep. can you explain, I mean, I know what you mean, can you explain to the listeners, it's obviously um, it's over drugs? like yep. yep. So I was still living at my house and he lived up the road and he was still using, he had been a user for many, many years. He he tried to make out that he was a better drug addict than anyone else because he owned his house. Well, he was paying it off. And um, I still had a lot of people living in my house. I have two houses who were using drugs. I was off drugs. And I'd been clean by this stage five months. And it's he wanted me to better like get off the drugs and things, and it seemed if I did, when I did, he didn't like that. He didn't like that. He he thought that I thought I was better than everyone, and I didn't. I've never thought that. Um, I never judge anyone. 
and he he was losing control of me. I wasn't falling for his crap anymore, but he still manipulated me very much so. Um, and I couldn't see that. It's taken probably only the last three or four months that I've just gone, you know what, I'm not taking your phone calls. I'm not putting up with you. Um, he, with the lagging, he would always accuse me of being a cop dog and a lagger and, you know, an informant. And I was nothing like that. In fact, it's him that was like that. And everything that he ever accused me of was what his behaviours were. So in that world, you don't tell the police anything, you know, and it's the best way to be because you, we're all doing wrong. You know, you don't, if the police come around and you get raided, you cop your charges because that's what we're doing, you know. So so you'd be prepared to go to jail and to sit in the cells and be charged and all that sort of stuff um, just for your own safety, I suppose. You're I'd rather that than be known as a dog and then be bashed yeah. or your house burnt okay. down or they come after your kids. I would never, ever lag. Okay. And I remember okay. having that argument with someone. They said um, when I was really enthralled in that, they said, I've seen statements you've made. And I'm like, I've never lagged on anyone. And I went, hang on a minute. Yes, I have. I said, I, if you want to cast it as lagging, I lagged on my stepfather and, a, and another man who had hurt me a year earlier um, had brutally raped me. I said, so if that's lagging, then that's lagging. There's a very defined line, you know, um, mm-hmm. pedophiles are off limit, uh, uh, open slather. They're in a different category. Um, no argument here. Yeah, and that's the way the criminal world think of it too. And it's pedophiles and dogs. Open slather, do what you want to them. You know, you do not tell the police anything. And and I totally agree with that. You know, um, people used to say to us all the time, oh, the cops are going past, you know, someone said something, someone's leg, someone's this. And I used to turn around and I'd say, well, we are criminals. They're not idiots. They spend, you know, how many hours a day? Their job is to find us. <laughs> we don't hide it. They can see the behaviours. So people would what they call wig out and we're like, that's their job to hunt us down and we're running around town like we own the place. So, you know, it's not always about lagging. It's they're doing their jobs. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It, it, it's both, you know, and our job is to avoid them and go undetected and try and go under the radar. Well, it's very hard to do when your behaviours are so erratic. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gee, I did. I did say, you know, tell us the news. Um, <laughs> that you know, when I say about going off, I do tend to go off on tangents. That's one hell of a tangent we've just gone on. <laughs> I don't know how how many hours are we going to have to do of this. <laughs> oh no, it's just it's going to be oh, a Zach thing. We're going to have episodes. <laughs> Three episodes away. We're going. We'll have ten. Hey, let's go back. You just mentioned your stepfather. Then yes. So. Your situation is a situation that many of us just can't really fathom or even think about. And I suppose the very person that you look up to and trust, uh, taking away every piece of that innocence you have through abuse of the worst kind, and, and it was under the very roof that you lived under, where most of us would find 
you know, it's the safest place in the world to be. So can you tell us um, about your stepfather in those initial years? Yeah, I can. Um, yeah. I, I didn't just like him, I idolised him. I, um, I knew almost instantly there was something different about him. Um, he, he was big. He was a very, very big man and he was Maori. He was 56 when he got with my mum. I was nine. He was uh, incredibly conniving, manipulative, but he was also very, very likeable. And when people liked him, they liked him, and when they hated him, they hated him. And there was a very, very distinguished line that he, you are either on one side of the fence or the other. He was one of those people that if he did not like you, he would not even look in your direction. He wouldn't speak to you. That was it. Um, but pe- he was also the person that everyone went to when they needed help. If they needed someone bashed, he'd fix it. If they needed money, he'd hand it out. He was the go-to man and he was pretty cool. Um, so it made it very, very easy to hide what he did to me. And he control, he controlled everybody that came into his life and people didn't even realise they were being controlled. You just said then that there was something different about him when you first met him. Yes. You, and you meant, did you mean that you really liked him or there was something a bit creepy or what did you mean by that? He was nice but he was terrifying all at the same time and you couldn't put your finger on it. Remember, I was still nine and we, mum had told us, you know, be nice, don't be loud, behave. You know, she didn't want us to scare him off and we could be feral. We we could be out of control, us three, um, but we knew. I don't know. Or I knew. I wouldn't say that my sister or my brother knew, but I knew he was he was not someone to muck around with, and he was dangerous. I knew that instantly. Um, and the grooming with me was instant. He, you said to me, you know, on the phone, hindsight's a one thing. And I, I had a lot of years to analyse him and watch him. And I know that back then I knew he never got with my mum for any other reason than she had two daughters. And I knew that probably about 15. Um, it was confirmed and then it's been reconfirmed just four or five years ago. So from other people's mouths. So he had, he is the master, master manipulator and the master planner. He is the grooming king and he's very, very believable. I even remember when you were investigating him, you said to me one day, like, he's good, but I'm better, you said to me. <laughs> It was at McDonald's at St Albans. I was work, working there. You went, yeah. he's good, <laughs> but I, um, I'm better. 
and I, I was counting on you being better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell us about the grooming, Pip, and how, how long it took for him to start abusing you physically, sexually. Nine days from when he, we first met him. <gasps> oh, Pip. Nine days was the first time he touched me and he. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. He started grooming me on the second day. We had gone to his house the first day. He was all right, and he showed us photos of his biological children. I still remember the red ugly encyclopedias. I can't even look at an encyclopedia, the old-fashioned ones, because they were all across his mantelpiece. Um, He, on the second day, we'd gone to, he'd gone to the shop and I'm allergic to nuts. And he came back and he bought us all, uh, bought my sister and I a chocolate bar. My my brother, I believe, was living with my grandparents then at that stage. Mm-hmm. He bought us a chocolate bar each and it was a picnic. And I couldn't eat a picnic because it had nuts. But I also had my mum who wanted us to impress this man. She never said those words, but I knew, you know, we weren't to make waves. It took me three days to eat that picnic because I picked off every bit of chocolate and the nuts and I'd suck the chocolate off the nuts and secretly put it back in the packet. I knew don't offend him to not eat it, but I couldn't eat the nuts. By that what, state. What, what What do you think would have happened if you uh, did offend him? Mum wouldn't be happy. You know, I didn't want to upset mum because she was happy with this person. They'd obviously been seeing each other for a little bit before we'd met him. Um, 
So I remember on day nine, it was a winter day and we were sitting on the lounge room floor watching movies and we had like a modular, he had a modular square green couch that was huge. We were all sitting on the floor and we had blankets and juniors and we were watching some movie. I couldn't tell you the movie. And there was me. Then my mum was next to me. Then him and my little sister was on the other side of him and we're all under the dunas. And he was cuddling my mum and his hand was over her back. And he was that confident he was touching my leg and he actually started to put his finger down my pants and was fondling me as he was cuddling and kissing my mum, which I think is abnormal now anyway. Why were they kissing in front of us like that anyway? Um, And I remember my mum saying to me later, she pulled me aside in the bathroom and she asked me where my stepfather's hand had been, had he been touching me or anything, and I said, no, what are you talking about? I knew instantly to deny it and I don't know why I knew to deny it. That was my downfall. I should have told my mum. Um, You're nine, Pip. You know, you you would have been so confused. I mean, it's easy to. I look was back, confused. I was scared. I was. Of course, yeah. I was also scared that my mum would hit me, um, and she never hit me. She wasn't that type. But for some reason, I thought she'd be mad at me because I ruined her her new relationship, and she'd be on her own again. Um, so. And I'd never really seen my mum like someone before. Mm. From that day on, he had full control. He had full control of me. He had full control of my mum and he knew it. So from that day on, it just started. It got worse and worse to the point where he would tell me, uh, I think it was about two weeks later that he hit my mum and he told me that was my fault. She copped that because I didn't do as I was told. Um. And that's all it took. He had to only hit her once and there was no way I was going to let him hit her again. Mm. So from then on, he could do whatever he wanted. And he knew that I wasn't going to say anything. He didn't touch my sister. I never allowed it. Um, And he didn't need to. He was getting satisfied and getting what he wanted out of it from me. So why risk having two and one dobbing? when he knew that I was never going to tell. Mm. Mm. So the abuse, the sexual abuse started at nine? Yeah, nine days after I met him. Sure and I couldn't say a lot You can't of see it, it but I'm, I'm shaking my head here. It's just, yeah. I think a lot of things would actually... A lot of things weren't allowed to be, couldn't be said in the statements and couldn't be said in court because that's where I do think the world has to change and the laws have to change. It's very hard to prosecute because you have to have dates. So we couldn't prosecute him to the extent of what he did because of the way the system is. You you know, I couldn't just say to you, well, actually on average it would happen four to five times per week. We needed dates and we needed times and we needed scenarios. So I was lucky because of where I grew up in inner city Melbourne, we had a lot of 
extra things that went on, like the Royal Melbourne Show and birthdays, Easter, we could fit things together and Christmas and things, school holidays. Um, so I think as you and I talk, even your head will be blown away. At, you only know a portion, like only events that I can remember dates to, to know the actual extent of what he did even shocks me sometimes. Sometimes I'll think of something and I'll go, oh, God, it can be a smell, it can be something, and then I'll remember something else or I'll – I've never really forgotten. I can almost remember every single incident. I, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've I've dissected it. I used to memorise it because I knew at nine what he was doing was wrong. But by 14, I knew what he was doing was illegal and I knew I could go to the police and I'd get help and they'd protect me, but who was going to protect mum? And I thought, all right, well, I've put up with five years of it. I've only got four more years to go and I don't want mum to be on her own. But ultimately mum was on her own anyway. She ended up on her own after the court case and the trial. Um, So she did end up on her own. So everything I tried to prevent, by putting up with his crap, happened. And I just think that for sexual abuse cases like this that are long-term and that, the system needs to be overhauled and it's unfair. It's unfair on the victim because nobody's got a photographic memory. I'm pretty damn good. Because you're not wrong there. Yeah. (laughs) um, I'm also good because of the DPT and the lawyers that I we had having them, he taught me to be good, you know. Um, and if we could have told the truth in court, he would never have got out. He would, and I didn't even want him to go to jail. Do you know what I mean? My my goal was not to put him in jail, um, but I just think there's so many people, and there were people there that were doing other cases where they were getting acquitted and they were getting off because the victims were younger than me. They didn't have the insight that I had. They didn't – I planned. I knew one day I was going to need evidence. I was going to need proof. So I was always thinking that I have to be able to prove this because my mum will never believe me. So I knew that and I used to keep details in my head. and a lot of people don't have that insight. Mm. Can we go back a little bit? I, I, I want to explain a couple of things to the listeners. Um, when you talk about there were only – that you were abused mm-hmm. uh, four or five times a week. Yes. Okay. So why you can't – um, charge your stepfather with four or four, four, four or five times a week. I know people find this hard to accept, but when somebody is accused of a, a, a crime, they have a right to fight that accusation. And so if, if a victim can't give some sort of, uh, if they can't what we call particularise a certain event, 
uh, how can the the offender uh, fight that if he doesn't know, let's say, for instance, where, when, what happened? So yep. what, what we need from victims is for them, and this happens a lot where it does happen, you know, four or five times a week, and you can't charge somebody no. with on somebody on a victim say so that happened four or five times a week. So what we do is we get them to particularise the uh, event. So let's say, uh, as you said, you were very lucky that you could say, well, something happened when I went to the Royal Melbourne show when, I don't know, one yep. night I came home and whatever. But so that is giving... Um, that is being able to particularise a certain uh, time. When you said then that we need dates, police don't need dates, although they're fantastic, but we rarely get them. Yeah. But it's more about um, any particulars of, a, of the offence that will help us in um, forming a charge so that the offender would know, oh, yes, that was, you know, when you might say you had on, um, I don't know, a red top. Yes. Or it was the day that it was your, the day of your mum's fiftieth birthday. Or yes. Those so events we can bring it back. Correct. Correct. But and I do think that is unfair in a way. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sitting on the fence here because it is. I think we've got to be fair to the effect. I know people hate hearing this, and you probably do too. I remember but- having this argument with you. And- <laughs> We're still arguing. <laughs> no, we're not arguing. No, we're discussing. Yeah, yeah. You had to explain it to me so I could understand, and it made sense, and I understand why. Yeah. But I yeah. remember my answer to you was, well, why does he get all the rights, you know, because it was always, you know, we have to give him a chance to defend Absolute, himself. Absolutely, yeah. And I was yeah. angry that he got a copy of every single person's statement. I saw nothing. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't understand that. I couldn't understand the law. I couldn't understand the system. Mm-hmm. Well, once mm-hmm. you explain that, and that was what I also learnt, that the CPS unit is a completely specialised unit. You know, I had you at first, you took my first statements and then you took the second lot. But on that third night you weren't there and a male officer had come and picked me up from my house and he said to me, I'll go and grab a female officer. And I looked at him and I went, I did it with her the third night and then the fourth night he picked me up again and he said, I'll go grab a female officer for you, Pip. And I went, why? And he said, well, I said, because I don't like the one from last night. I felt uncomfortable with her. I just didn't have that rapport. I said, can't you do it? And he went, well, I can if you're going to be comfortable with that. And I said, I'm sure you've heard it all before. Mm. And... He was like yourself, who was able to trigger my mind to a time like he said, all right, well, how old were you when this happened? And I'm like, oh, 14, 14 and a half I would have been. I said, because it was school holidays. And he's like, good job. So we could work out a rough date because we go, all right, it was in my birthday had just happened or the show had happened. And, you know, I had, I had the races on, so spring carnival. Mm, um, mm. There were so many events, Oktoberfest, that we could do it around birthdays and that, that it was something that the CPS unit taught me to do. And if we had have had more time to, because I also thought in my own mind when I was doing my statements, which I was never made to feel this way, but I felt like, oh, my God, we've done it for so many nights in a row. He picked me up and we did my statements. 
I thought, God, they must be sick of listening to me too. <laughs> so I sort of shut up, you know, but that's how I yeah. felt. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm taking yeah. up all these people's time and they're, they're going out of their way and I'd never known I'd never known kindness, the kindness that you and I don't know if I'm allowed to say the officer's name, but we'll say his first name was Martin. Marty, yeah. Yeah, yeah and he was cute too. He was very sweet and he was very funny. Um, but he made He'd me love hearing like that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a, com- a conversation with him in the car. He said, how are you going living out of home? And I said, it's very weird. It gets to night time and I want to jump out of a car or I've got to run home because I'm never out at night. And he said, and what about having a house, mate? And I said to him, I said, yeah, it's really good. I said, but she ate all my Tim Tams. He goes, I hate that. He said, there's nothing worse when you think there's something in the fridge. I still remember that to this day that, you know, if someone's eaten the last Tim Tam, I'll always think of Marty and think, oh, my God, I remember that conversation. (laughs) And he he taught me that, you know, housemates have faults. They're not all just precious, you know. And that was where I got that ease with him. He put me at ease. And he was, I think he was quite young. He was about, you know, he wouldn't have been about 30, I'd say. He wasn't an old cop. No, he, no, you're right. He yeah. wasn't um he wasn't he wasn't nasty and he I had no fear with him. He was just fine. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I remember being embarrassed because I had to say, um it hurt to go to the toilet to do number twos and he said, Can you describe that to me? And I went I said the word poo and I was mortified. Um <laughs> I could talk about everything else and I could say every swear word in the town, but no, yeah. saying the word poo to Marty, I was, that was the only time I was ever embarrassed in front of him. Oh. I'm even blushing now thinking oh, of that. I know, you know, I was just going to say, isn't that lovely? But it, what a ridiculous comment because it's not lovely at all, but just the, the, the fact that you can tell him everything about what your stepfather did but you couldn't say the word poo. Yep. I could say the I could say the F bomb, the C bomb, everything, but saying the word poo yeah. in front of Marty was just horrifying. Oh and you know, something going back, it's it's this is really bizarre, but I do remember when and this would have to well, as we said, it's probably about thirty years ago now, but I do remember that first time when you told me that he'd um, put his finger down your pants yep. when you were watching the movie with your mum. Yes. And and I remember thinking to myself, sorry, Pip, but I'm going to have to say it, nobody's going to believe that. I did because I was with you and I was taking your statement. Yep. But, but it was just so... Brazen. Great. Yes, brazen is the right word. And I thought nobody will believe that the first time he has sexually abused her is in front of her mum under a bloody doona with the mum next to her. But I, I just remember that so, oh, Vividly. That is, gee, that, yeah, yes. And the other thing too, let's go back to what we call the particularisation, being able to particularise certain events. Yeah. Can we go to, you had four very, very good particularizations mm-hmm. from a, an evidence point of view, didn't you? Yes. Can you sh- share that with us? Yep. So he, my stepfather didn't actually, in he, he didn't start um, having full-on intercourse with me till I was 14. And when he did... He 
only ever used the top half of his penis. He never fully, fully inserted his penis in me because he had this stupid theory in his head that, you know, he, he was safe then. I'd never been penetrated. I'd never anything. And he also, at 17, I fell pregnant to him for the first time. And he, I remember where I was. I was walking up to the shops after after school, after work, sorry, and I was getting dinner because that was my job every day. And I got all lightheaded and I felt nausea. I instantly knew I was pregnant. I don't know how. Um, and he always pulled out. He said to me that he would never ejaculate into me because, you know, I could fall pregnant and it was too early for me to fall pregnant was what he would tell me. And so he thought the withdrawal symptom, it worked, system, that worked. And mm-hmm. when I fell pregnant, I was mortified. I didn't know what to do. I was terrified. I wanted to slice my own stomach open. I had to find a way to get that thing out um, without even telling him, but I had to tell him because someone was going to find out. Someone was going to know. He was going to know. But this is a man that never believed I could fall pregnant because he only put the head of his penis inside of me and he pulled out. Well, I got back then you had Dolly Doctor, in the Dolly magazine, and you had Cosmopolitan magazines. I used to buy them all the time. And Dear Dolly, Your Doctor was where write, readers would write in, teenage girls asking questions. And they'd said the withdrawal system doesn't work because you've got pre-ejaculation. I used to get all my magazines out and show him because he would not believe me. I'd obviously been having sex with other people. I was just a white Aussie trash slush and... That was when the beating started. So he first beat me when I was 17 as well. He'd never hit me before. And I had to admit that I'd had sex with somebody and I hadn't. I would never do a thing out of lying. Um, Hadn't even gone near boys. Um, So here I was getting beaten, pregnant, accused of things I wasn't doing, dragged by the hair, being told, you know, admit it, kicking me in the stomach, all sorts of things. And I was still pregnant. I'd do a pregnancy test every single day on my way to work going, what am I going to do? And I was in, how ironic, Miss Miss Teenage of Victoria at the time. It was my first year in it. And they raised money for the Royal Women's Hospital was the whole idea. And I was one of the top contenders in that. So it was in Grattan Street in Carlton, was the office for Miss Teenager Victoria and that was also the offices for all the specialists such as the gynecologist. <laughs> so I'd rung up a, the hotline and I tried to find out how you get an abortion because I was not worldly in any way. Um, I was worldly in a lot of criminal ways but not because of my family but I wasn't worldly in how to do things. So it just happened that the office was right next door to the office of Miss Teenage Victoria of the gynecologist I went to see. And I went and saw him and it was great because I could just say I was going to the office for to drop off raffle tickets and pick some more up. And I went in there and I had this appointment with the doctor and he said, well, you're under 18, so I need your parent's signature. And I looked at him and 
I burst into tears and I said, I can't get my parents' signature. And he said, what? And I said, because it's my stepfather that has impregnated me. And he looked at me and I remember him writing it down on this little index card like a cookbook box that your grandmother had. And he kept turning this card around. He was writing the most tiniest writing. And he said to me, without your parents' signature, I can't help you. And he was a bitter old man. He was like 102 in my eyes. And I looked at him and I said, if you don't do it, I'm going to do it myself. So I'll get you a signature. I said, and he said, all right. So I went home to my stepfather that day and I said to him that I went to the doctors and this is what has to happen. And he said, all right, well, I'm going to have to just meet you there, aren't I? So he ducked out of work and met me there and he signed it and left. Same when I had the abortion. He only arrived to pick me up. I had to get myself there, but you weren't allowed to be discharged without someone picking you up because he told me to just get in a taxi. So he picked me up there. So I knew and I told uh, the gynecologist, um, his name was Michael, I said to him that one day I'm going to go to court and he's going to go to jail for what he's doing to me. So I need you to remember me and I need you to keep the fetuses. I wanted that evidence. I wanted the DNA. He never kept the fetuses and he had the worst memory of my, I've ever known. I was, that was the one person I was, there was two people I was angry at, but he was one that I was very, very angry at in the court. I wanted to scream at him in the court and I couldn't say anything when he was on the stand because he's like, he had no memory, even though he'd done all four abortions. And he had that little card in his hand in the court. I'd have to refer to my notes. And I think I was just wanted to scream at him going, you wrote it down, you fool. You know, But he was just the worst witness, I thought. Like, oh, my God, you're the one person I counted on. And there was no, I don't believe back then that there was any duty of care where he had mandatory reporting. And I don't know, even if there was, is mandatory reporting at 17. I was almost 18. So it could have been mandatory reporting was in, but it was probably for under 16, you know, and it wasn't until I got with you that I learned that it didn't matter because still we had a, by this stage, you know, I think they, I don't know, I think the day I went in, I was 17, so I was nine I think he was 56 when he went to jail. So he would have been in his 40s when he started and he was 56 when he went to jail, I think. So he was still, at, when I was 17, he was still well over 21 and 25. So he could have been charged with statutory rape. Like I was just angry at that doctor that, you know what, he'd been to university. He knew it was wrong and he never he should have dobbed. It was actually it's actually incest the charge. Yeah, but he mm. should have dobbed. You know. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. whether there was a duty of care, I thought morally you should have done something. You could see how much danger I was in. He could see how, how scared I was when my stepfather did come into the office. 
He could just did, did he come in? Did he come into the office and speak to the yeah. uh, doctor at any stage? Yeah, because he, he came in and signed all the forms for me to be able to have the procedure. He paid for it all. You said back then uh, that you had four abortions to him. Yes. So I had one when I was 17, two the year I was 18, and I had one, my last one, on the 5th of May. 1995, and I ran away on the 9th of May, 1995. God. And did that same doctor do the four abortions? Yes. Okay. Oh, God, Pip, I just can't. I mean, I know that... um, I still don't understand to this day because of... We weren't allowed to mention the abortions in the trial. There was two things we weren't allowed to mention. We weren't allowed to mention the abortions and we weren't allowed to mention the time that he penetrated me anally. Um, I still have trouble talking about that one. Um, Mm. And that was because when you pick your jury and you have your legal argument, I remember Aaron, the lawyer, explaining it to me. He said there's compromises we had to make and I was so angry that the why are we compromising on the one thing that we've got proof on? You know, we've got his signature. We had everything. We had, he knew and he, the abortions, whether we had the fetuses or not, we had evidence to prove that his statements weren't true and that he he breached himself. And it was enough proof to prove to my mum and that's all I ever wanted to do was to prove to my mum that he was the liar, not me. So I, I still to this day don't understand why the most substantial evidence we had was what they, we weren't allowed to talk about. They, they dismissed those ones and I, I, I can't fathom that. I can't understand it. I didn't. I didn't want to ruffle anyone's feathers because everyone was being so nice to argue that with Aaron, like, why aren't we using this? I, I just couldn't get that. And I still don't understand that, how that works, you know, like that was it's, our big uh, thing. Yeah, it's, it's about you um, do a bit, it sounds terrible, doesn't it, because it's about somebody's life and the hurt that it has caused somebody, but you do a, a bit of bargaining. So yeah. to say, well, if if you say yes to this, we can we will drop this one. And I But think he said he said didn't say yes to anything. He just denied and lied. He never admitted to one judge. My goodness, isn't she just the most amazing young woman with such an incredibly kind and forgiving demeanour? So next week, Pip talks about the trial of her stepfather, how her honesty in court caused a few red faces, including my own, and uh, from the OPP as well. And when her stepfather did go to jail, how she kept ringing him to the point that the priest at Pentridge paid her a home visit. Uh, Pip's attempts at ending her life and why at 42 she became a drug addict and why Oprah Winfrey is her hero. Thanks, and see you next week. Hey, it's Narelle here again. 
thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narell Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Narell.com and search for Narell Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.